Yeah, I know Krista doesn't like to talk Narnian theology with you. <laughs> she does not at all. I would be happy to discuss Narnian theology with you. Somebody has to. Hello! Welcome to Chronically Narnia. This is Kristen, also known as the Sagacious Elephant. And this is my co-host. Chris. I am... And I'm... The space between attics. I don't know. You you are the, the passageway in the, the attic. I'm the passageway in the attic. You're you're shorter than you seem. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I suppose that's accurate. Uh, welcome to our final episode of the magician's nephew. Thank this is goodness. This is the last one we ever talk about this book in ever. And this is our wrap up episode because we thought you know fifteen chapters. Wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. We, we just need to more. come in and, and do a full wrap-up and do an hour-long review episode and just, like, <laughs> expand my end-of-episode review segment that Kristen hates to fill all this time. Um, Fortunately, <sighs> so that I don't have to put up with this alone, we brought in a guest, friend of the podcast, Steve. Mm-hmm. And Steve, welcome. How would you like to be introduced today? Thank you. I am Uncle Andrew's diseased liver. Ah, okay. excellent. Nice. Well, would you like some brandy, Steve? <laughs> brandy. <laughs> we brandy. We didn't bring any. If you guys ever do get a pet, you should name, name him, brandy. Him, him or her Brandy. <laughs> mm. We could do that. Add we that could. into the pool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> into the pool. <laughs> I totally didn't do that intentionally, but, you know. It's, that's, that's the kind of episode it's going to be. Well, it's going to be up there with strawberry. <laughs> so we're or gonna, it's just we're, strawberry brandy. There mm-hmm. you go. There's a local distillery that makes some strawberry brandy, and it's delightful. Mm-hmm. So you're going to put a pin in this book. We are. Finish it. Drive, uh, drive a stake through its heart. Like like so many display butterflies <laughs> in museums and college <laughs> student walls. Um, so yeah, this is, this is, is our wrap-up. Is that what you think college students do? Pinned what? butterflies on their wall? I don't know. That seems like a, it seems like a Pinterest thing. No, it seems like a thing that like twelve-year-old boys do. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I'm far enough removed from college that I don't understand college students anymore. Before they burn down their parents' house. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. All right. Well, Steve, um, tell us a little bit about your relationship with the Chronicles of Narnia and this book specifically. Well, I. I have read each of the Chronicles of Narnia probably conservatively more than 50 times each Mm -hmm. because when I was in fourth grade, uh, my fourth grade teacher read A Horse and His Boy aloud to us, and that was my gateway drug. I was hooked after that. And I remember probably for more than a year reading a book under the covers by flashlight (laughs) every night. And conveniently, there were seven of them, so it took a week. So, yeah, easily 50, 60, 70 readings, perhaps, hmm. before I, I got on to other series. So um, you've memorized them is basically what I'm well, getting here. Well, that was about 40 years ago, <laughs> uh-huh. because I, I am older than oh. you children. <laughs> so this yeah. just, you know, stifled your literary explorations for a while? You just yeah, only you're read stuck these on books? These. I just only read these books. And I, and I have to say, probably, okay, so I was 
10, 11, 12. And it wasn't until I was maybe 17 or 18 that somebody told me, oh, yeah, you know Aslan's Jesus, right? <laughs> and that just, I was so disappointed after that. But but is he, Kristen? Is he? <laughs> you you two? You know what? We, we came in and set up today and Steve said, Chris, well, I'll have some theological discussions with you about Narnia. And I said, thank goodness, I'm going to go get some tea. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just, this is the point where Kristen ducks out of the podcast and you know yeah. comes back in 20 minutes. All right. See you guys soon. Cue the theology music. Um, so where do, we, where do we start here? The... I mean, I don't want to, like, get into overarching, like, reviews of the book or, or say anything broad about it, like, to start out with. But where where does this fit? We, we I guess we came to a point where we realized why this is uh, not the first book and why this isn't the first book that you should read. We kind of talked a, bit, a little bit about that last episode, but... Yeah. Oh, and I mean, I've, yeah. I've quoted Steve as telling us that this book is the phantom menace of this series, answering questions that nobody, <laughs> that nobody had yet. Asks, yeah. uh-huh. and, and interestingly enough, you know, HarperCollins gets on its high horse and says, this is, uh, and, and I get a little triggered every time they say Professor Lewis, you know, but uh, this is the preferred, this is the order he preferred. Well, I did a little internet uh, deep dive. And the reason they say that is because some kid in the 50s wrote him a fan letter saying, my mother says I should read these books in the order they were published, but I like to read them in the order, in chronological order, in story order. What do you think, <laughs> author? And, he, and his response was, uh, well, when I wrote them originally, I didn't write them as seven books. I wrote Lion, and I didn't think I was going to write another book. And then I wrote Prince Caspian, and I didn't think I was going to write another book. <laughs> and all the way through, until it, uh, presumably he got to the last battle and he thought, okay, this is the last one. Uh, he didn't think he was going to write another book. Hmm. And he says, yeah, your order's fine. You can read it however you want to read it. <laughs> and, and then he also said, honestly, I can't even remember the order that I wrote them in. <laughs> And so a lot of scholars just say, well, he's being nice to a fan, to this, you know, 10 or 12-year-old kid. And really, he didn't care. And he had plenty of time during his life that if he wanted to reorder them, they would have been reordered. Because the other thing I did was look at uh, first editions. Mm -hmm. If you go on Google Narnia first editions, and uh, you can get a box set of of a British first edition with a C.S. Lewis signed the silver chair mm-hmm. on the inside, if you have $40,000. <laughs> That's you it? You can pick it really? up. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it ranges... I mean, I could get a new car. It, or, <laughs> or... We could both get new cars. I mean, uh-huh. priorities. Yeah. You, know? yeah. From, you can get some first editions for around 20000 but the, the really nice one. That's uh, that's got <laughs> the case yeah. and got the, all the dust jackets yeah. and was signed by Lewis. That's forty grand. Yeah. After we won our big podcasting award, we can get those. Yeah, yeah. there we go. After our potty. Yeah. But none of those, none of those. I can't find any evidence of any set being numbered other than publishing order before 1994, and that's when Harper Collins took them over. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. All right. All the other numbered sets, sets that I have yeah. found, including the one that I had when I was a kid, which was the 1970 set, 
mm-hmm. uh, was has all been in publishing order, where Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is one, yeah. and Horse and His Boy is five, Magician's Nephew is six. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we read it in the wrong order. <laughs> yeah. But do we, <laughs> I guess going into our next book. Which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. The proper first book. Uh, do you think this is going to inform anything about that discussion? Will we reference this in our reading of it since we have all this background information? Or do you think this was just a colossal waste of time to do in the first place? Well, I mean, <laughs> I've read them. I've read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe probably only like six or seven times and the rest of the books only one or two times each. Uh-huh. And so for me... You know, I feel like this was kind of a waste of time because the questions that you have, like, about the founding of Narnia or, you know, like, they're not they're not questions you ask after reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like, the only question that, that the magician's nephew answers that I had after reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is where did the wardrobe come from? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the, like... To me, that's the entire point of reading The Magician's Nephew is to find out where the wardrobe came from. And apparently, again, this is the internet, and of course everything we know is on the internet is true. Everything. Right? All so, of <clears throat> apparently, after Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was written, somebody asked Lewis, um, so where'd that lamppost come from? Mm-hmm. You know, the lantern waist. Cool picture, right? Yeah. Where did it come from? And that's supposedly when he started writing Magician's Nephew. Mm-hmm. But... It, it took him 10 years to write. Hmm. And so that might make sense when he said to the kid, I can't even remember the order in which I... If he was working on multiple <laughs> books at the same time, yeah. uh-huh. it's like, I can't remember when I wrote it. <laughs> yeah. I guess in a better space than Stephen King, who famously has several books that he doesn't even remember writing at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there, there was a lot of cocaine uh-huh. involved. Yeah. Uh, for his own yeah. admission. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's, let's dive in. So... I guess my, my first question to start us off would be, what kind of story is this? It's a prequel. Okay, but what, <laughs> from, a, from a literary standpoint, what is, what is this? Because I talk a lot about the hero's journey story, and it being, you know, Diggory's hero's journey. Is that what it is, or? No. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> no. Because this Both story. Agree on that. This story is talking about, like, a little boy who's getting swept along in the story of how Narnia was founded. Like it's, it's more like he is our eyes and ears as the audience coming into it more to me, more so than he has ever been an active participant. He gets one chapter of active participation Uh huh. where he's like, gonna go get an apple. Yeah. I, I, I and guess that's so. the, like, and that's the content that I don't even remember about this book. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, the cover. Yeah, when when you picked up your book with the apple on the cover, mm-hmm. which I will share a picture of for you listeners at home. I am showing it right now. It <laughs> is the current Harper Collins edition, numbered number one on the side, uh-huh. and it shows a boy's hand holding a silver apple, and in the background, and you can sort of see a, his faint reflection uh-huh. in the apple, and yeah. in the background, you see who, someone who's presumably. Jadis, the witch, because... She's got a crown on her head. And she yes. is paper white. Yes. Except like for the toffee tree leaves. Except for the eyes mm-hmm. and the lips. Yes. Well, now, there is an edition set. If we're going to talk about cover art in the podcast, mm-hmm. there's an edition set, and I think it's the mm-hmm. first to 94, the first Harper Collins 
which I owned because I read it to my children at the time. And the illustrations are by Chris Van Allsburg, who, if you don't know who he is, he wrote Jumanji. He okay. wrote The Polar Express. Okay. He is a cool artist, and he's yeah. wrote a lot of other stuff that's not nearly as famous. And I love him for his art. I see. And the art that he drew for the magician's nephew, which I think is hilarious, because it shows Diggory, and, and he always draws... You know, none of his none of his people are heroic looking. Uh-huh. He's kind of a little chunky, kind of non-athletic sort of boy, uh-huh. and he's almost uh-huh. he looks like he's hugging the tree with the silver apples on it, mm-hmm. and he's looking up, and you can imagine him thinking, "How the heck am I going to get one of those apples?" Mm-hmm. They're way up above his head. Because <laughs> they're way up above his head. Yeah. Uh, all of the artwork, all of his artwork in that edition is charming, because his art is charming. This is the cover art from the one that I grew up yeah. with, which I described in one of the earlier episodes of them kids falling up into the air out mm-hmm. of the pool with yeah. the witch coming behind holding on to Polly's hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this has always been the original the cover set that art. I had was similar, but it wasn't white in the background. It was sort of a tan. So we can post pictures of all these on our Instagram later, uh, or you can just, you know, be lazy and look them up. I guess looking up yourself is. Uh, the opposite of being lazy there. You can do either one. Um, but let's talk about things that aren't uh, visual. Um, <laughs> so, let's talk about uh, things that are visual. What such, is your favorite such good visual radio. image <laughs> in this? Uh... Yeah. Um, so, what kind of story? Let's let's break it down to, uh, you know, like a, a Red Letter Media style review of, uh, of the prequels. Who was our protagonist in this book? Narnia. Because it's not a story if we can't identify a protagonist. Uh, the artificer's sister's son. Yeah. Diggory. Diggory. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the, so the titular <laughs> character. The titular character. Yes. So yes, we have Diggory as our protagonist. What kind of character is Diggory throughout the book? This we talked well, a little bit about this. Yeah, last we chapter. talked about this in the, in the last chapter discussion where we we kind of evaluate Diggory as a non-dynamic character. Like he doesn't. Diggory in chapter one is the same character as Diggory in chapter two, like or chapter fifteen. Uh-huh. He doesn't change or grow or develop in it. Well, then, it, then is he the protagonist? I mean, because I was always taught that the protagonist is the one who changes, but I that's mean, a hero's journey kind of thing. Yeah, which I mean, this isn't. It's just not a good story. That's all. No. <laughs> I think it's an excellent prequel, but. The, the question we can get to later on, and the one that I wanted to ask is, does this book hold up? Mm. In light of the other books, or in light of just... Just in light of, this book is almost 60 years old. Mm-hmm. Does it hold up? Um, I mean, that, that touches on something we talked about a little bit about in the first first or second I mean, episode you're gonna have a different opinion on this because you haven't read it before yeah. so this is the first time you've read it yes so just as a piece of literature do you feel like it holds up uh yeah i mean this is kind of what we talked about a little bit in either the first or second episode where we talked about kind of the uh disconnect between where lewis was in you know his place in society and what he was writing because he was writing a book for children in the 50s about something their grandparents would have done yeah. in that kind of time frame. And so he was like two times removed from the subject that he's writing about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Internet, and, again, internet says that this story, and I don't know where they get it from, 
because I've read all of these books, like I said, multiple times, and there are no years. Mm -hmm. But Internet says this story takes place in the year 1900. Yeah, and that's kind Mm -hmm. of what we based it on based on that first uh, paragraph where it says when um, Sherlock Holmes still lived on Baker Street. And just kind of that framing of the time that it was going to be happening in. Yeah. Also, still, this definitely, I believed that that Sherlock Holmes was a real person because of that chapter. <laughs> as as a young human, did that bum you out when you found out? Kind of like when I found out Aslan was Jesus. It's well, <laughs> I think so. I, I think it was. I think it was one of those things where I just felt dumb, like because for so long I thought that a fictional character was. It's like. It's like when I realized that narwhals were real creatures and not some made-up <laughs> internet thing. Like, uh-huh. I thought they were fake. Yeah. How, how, it, when was that for you? Um, I was 22. <laughs> My daughter has a friend in high school, and she told me that he said during uh, American history class, he goes, wait a minute, Pocahontas was real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a story we won't get into. Um, but... Bringing it back to Magician's Nephew. Do I think it holds up? Yeah. I mean, I'm... I don't know about the tone in your voice, though. I mean, my... Yeah. That's The tone of my voice is, you know, I'm not the target audience of this book. Uh, I'm 20 years older than, you know, this who this book is aimed for. Yeah, but and I, this book is aimed for you to read to your children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which and, I did. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And um, but uh, you, you as a non-parent. That... Yes, I as a non-parent, like, I have to look at it through that lens where, you know, I'm not who this book is written for, so me saying, oh, this is trash and it doesn't tell a good story, well, that's going to be any children's book I read. I'm like, just going to start the episode with that clipped. Like, this is trash. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I've read several children's books for, you know, college things and projects and whatnot. Uh, I've not really found any that I would like be like oh this is amazing i mean it is what it is it can Besides be good for what it is. Potter. Uh, well yeah harry potter is a different thing <laughs> and we can we can compare and contrast all we want there i was gonna say Coraline is the first thing that oh yeah mind. Coraline's a good one was was really good um but sure i i don't think i would read this to my kids today honestly like other books in the series sure uh i i don't know yeah i don't think this would engage the youth of today yeah, and I feel like, I mean, what lesson is this book teaching? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to invest the time to, to share a story like this with a child, the lesson that this is teaching is like, hey, be afraid of loss, but you're probably not going to lose the thing you care about. Like, <laughs> It all works out in the end. Yeah, it's all going to be great. Yes. Mm. How do you feel, Steve? Do you think it holds up? Um... In my real life, I'm a fifth grade teacher. Would you read this to your students? No. <laughs> Would you read The Horse and His Boy, though? I might. I, I do read to my students, but I do not read any Narnia books to my students because I think they do suffer from 50 years of creakiness mm-hmm. and also uh, Britishness, <laughs> which um, uh, American fifth grade students in Oxnard, California, they, there's not a connection <laughs> there. Whereas, uh-huh. uh, you know, if you ever, if you're, if when you finish The Last Battle, if you want some more children's literature, I'll give you recommendations of really good children's literature that I think 
would stand the stand up to this sort of literary chopping and screwing that uh-huh. we like to do. Um, um, no, it's. I don't think it's a bad book. I think uh, it's a better book when you read it sixth in order than when you read it first in order because it does suffer from the Phantom Menace syndrome where it's it's answering a lot of questions uh, that that nobody's asking if you haven't read at least Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. fact, it says in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when they first when the when the children first heard the name Aslan, uh, they felt thrilled by it, even though they didn't know what it meant any more than you, the reader, does right mm-hmm. now. And mm-hmm. of course, we, the reader, do know who Aslan is because um, uh, because we've read The Magician's Nephew. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can we talk about names for a second? Yes. Names. Names. Aslan. Anagram for nasal. Anagram yeah. for nasal. <laughs> Turkish for lion. Really? Yeah. Yes. How did we not get that in this entire... Because I... I should be more researchy, shouldn't I? Yeah, because you told me you were going to do the research, so I stopped researching. Because it never occurred to me that it actually meant something. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. Jadis, totally made-up name. Mm-hmm. There's a French word, Jadis, which I presume is pronounced Javi, uh-huh. which means uh, your, which means sort of like uh, in times of your. Mm. Okay. Which you would like start a fairy tale, like in English you'd say "once upon a time," yeah. okay. and and in French you would say "in times of yore," and it would be "jadi." Probably not though, because again, Turkish "jadi" without the "s" on it means witch. There you go. There you go. So Lewis was a fan of the Turks, yes, and their well, language. I mean that is very in line with the kind of world that Aslan has, or that. C.S. Lewis has created where he's got characters who are very symbolic mm-hmm. uh-huh. and are representing very symbolic things. And even as, like, throughout the book, um, Jadis's titles change yeah. from queen to empress to witch yeah. to all of, you know. And when you get to Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, there is the only time she's mentioned by name is when uh, the, her, there's something nailed up on a door. And it's by order of Jadis. And it mm-hmm. gives all of her titles. And, mm-hmm. the, and it's like a mile long. And, and I look forward to hearing that podcast because I'm sure you're just going to really enjoy all of the different titles that she has. <laughs> That's, those are my names for you know, this entire series. We yes. already, already set up. So uh, Andrew, as in Uncle Andrew. <laughs> yes, uh, Brandy. Simply means man. Like anthropology. Yeah. Uh, androgynous. Tell Andrew. that to all the Andrews that you know, uh, dear listeners. Means man. Yeah, if you have a friend, Andrew, just name be like. just means. <laughs> Diggory is of undetermined um, origin. Also, according to my particular word processor, not a word. Not a word. <laughs> it, yeah. it tells me I've spelled something incorrectly every time I type Diggory's yeah. name. But mm. speculatively, it's it's um, medieval French. And it means lost one. Chew on okay. that one for a bit. Okay. Okay. And getting back to, you know, he, he is our main character. Is he lost? Is he a lost one? And Polly. Uh, Polly Plummer. Polly comes from Molly, which comes from Mary, which means uh, beloved. But it could also mean bitter. <laughs> and it could also mean rebellious. Okay. Okay. So now, let's, you are. so now let's talk about characters. 
Um, is this so Jiggery sure. and Lost one? Uh, yes. Am I taking over the podcast? No, <laughs> I mean, that's why we're here. Like, people have heard us enough. Um, I, I'd say, yeah, the, he, he's definitely a lost boy. Um, the, does he find himself uh, at some point? I think he does. But maybe maybe that's that's his journey. Like, he, he is lost and then he finds himself. Yeah. And I it's mean, more of a, you know, introspective change. Yeah. I mean, to a point, there's, there's, Diggory is introduced as a little boy sitting in the garden crying because he's lost yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Like or he's is in the process his, of losing them. Yeah, and yeah. he's lost his home and his dad isn't around yeah. and he's, he's losing his, his, yeah, he lost his pony. Yeah. You know, like that horse and his boy. Um, and then he's losing his mother. Mm-hmm. So he's in this state of loss, which we then later have drawn in with Aslan as this kind of connecting point where they're the only two people who've experienced grief in Narnia. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this kind of like point of of connection for them where they mm-hmm. have this ability for connection that's not really expounded upon beyond just the fact that Aslan acknowledges that they're the only two that have experienced grief. And then uh, Aslan essentially restores to Diggory his childhood. This um, this is what I said in the last episode, which you haven't heard yet. Um, but like... It feels kind of a little pat at the end. Yeah. Though, doesn't it? By, mm-hmm. by him, by you have this like these moments of like, oh, you've experienced this grief that nobody else here has, and then I'm going to fix it all so you don't have to finish going through that grief mm-hmm. and go home and basically restore to you your childhood and your ability to have your pony and go home and kill off great uncle Kirk so you get a lot of money and, like, <laughs> yeah, good for you. Is that the first instance, do you think, of... The rich uncle dies, and so you come into your inheritance and live happily ever after. Like, mm. usually that's the start of someone's problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I would doubt that. In it's... gothic literature, it would be, yeah. And then you inherit the haunted house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's let's start going through. You have some talking points over there, Kristen. I have uh, some talking points. I let's... mean, if we're going to continue talking about characters, I had some notes on uh, Uncle Andrew Mm-hmm. Um, that just kind of stood out to me because I was going back through some of our sentence summaries. Yes. Um, and typing those up just so that I had all of our five sentence summaries. We have the, during my going through all of these sentence summaries, the one there there was a couple sentences that really stood out to me in our sentence summaries. But the one that like resonated for me with Uncle Andrew was um, a quote from Polly, and it says, "Is Mister Ketterly really mad?" And so we kind of Good question. had mm-hmm. talked about, and in, in that episode with them going into the attic, I had talked about the symbolism of the attic representing kind of the, the mind of the character. And I talked about it as a representation of, of Diggory's mind. Um, and, uh, but it's really a kind of a representation of Uncle Andrew's mind where he's locked up in the attic with all of this magic and, and guinea pigs and guinea pigs and he's going crazy and like, oh yeah, no, the guinea pigs uh, talking about how the guinea pigs can't yes. get back and I can't explain to them. Like I've always wanted, that's, yeah. <laughs> what was the line? I've always wanted two children Yes, and here you are. 
And then, and then even in the end, where he's trapping people in the billiard room to talk to them about this dim, fine woman. Uh-huh. Uh, terrible temper she had, you know. Or, yes. Mysterious so. dignitary from a foreign land. Yes. Yeah. So, like, for me with Uncle Andrew, like, I think he really is crazy. <laughs> and I think that the only redemption he has is that he gets out of the attic. And he gets into a billiard room, basically. Yeah, I mean... I, I don't necessarily think there's anything in the book you could point to and say this is the action of a madman. Uh, I mean, he's not a good dude. He kidnapped children. Yeah. I, he, I'd say he's a madman. I mean, he's a villain. He's the antagonist of he's the story. A villain, yeah. I don't of. think he's the antagonist of the story. No, I absolutely disagree with you. I think dark magic is the antagonist yeah. as like an like in general. And anyone who's messing around with it is an instrument of it. Uh-huh. Okay, I was thinking about this earlier when I was uh, reading my bad charn fan fiction. Uh-huh. <laughs> Apparently is a thing that exists. Google don't. Charn, or, not. or don't <laughs> charn fan fiction and you will be shocked and stunned by the amount and lack of quality. <laughs> Well, they're in. I mean, that's that's all fan fiction to an extent. But I mean, just yeah. look at the last three Star Wars movies. Yeah. <laughs> wow, throwing those hot takes out there. Um, <laughs> I would love to see, and I was also thinking about what you were saying about the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see. Uh, oh, and I, I was. You're gonna have to edit this. Oh, and I was also thinking <laughs> uh-huh. about the scene between Diggory and Aslan talking about the apple. Right, and he said, "Well, the the witch has eaten the apple," mm-hmm. and Aslan says, "Everything works according to its nature. She's going to live forever. She's going to grow in power, but it's not going to work out the way she wants it to. Mm-hmm. If you had given this to your mother, she would have gotten better, but someday you would have regretted. She and you would have regretted ever that she ha- that she didn't die in the sickbed." Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, to paraphrase. Yeah. And I thought, okay, here's the here's the fan fiction I want you to write. <laughs> yeah. Is um, and and to to make this is to to include our Star Wars analogy. Uh huh. So Diggory takes the apple back, feeds it to his mother. Mm-hmm. She gets better, but she becomes you know, uh, is it Mabel? Yes. Yeah. Mabel is Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Diggory is, you know, Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, however you want to put it. Okay. Uh So there's always like that, that she's the empress of the earth and the disciple and Uncle Andrew and Jadis have to come back to earth and depose them. Make Mm -hmm. them flip it. Make them the protagonists. Yeah. Uh, Jadis could do that. Um, I mean, Uncle Andrew would just be, you know, hiding in a wardrobe drinking brandy the entire time. Uh, Which is yeah, another parallel it, of wardrobes. Yes. <laughs> now, Uncle Andrew can be the guy like like Jadis is is the um, what's the analogy? J- oh, this is I'm really gonna warp this. I apologize. And please don't sue me, Disney. Jadis is like the Kim Possible, and and Uncle Andrew is the guy with the headphones. You know, the guy on the other side of the microphone, uh-huh. telling her where to go and what to do, and yeah. Uh-huh. So. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we have, we have Diggory. Uh, we talked about Uncle Andrew a little bit. Uh, do we need to say anything about Polly over the course of the book? Even, you know, she becomes less and less of a character. She's a brick. <laughs> She's a brick. 
Polly is a brick. She's a rung lower than a Mary Sue. She's like, <laughs> she's, no, not a Mary Sue at all. Although she, she always does manage to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Polly is there just to be an anchor. I mean, like she doesn't have to go with him to even to yeah. get the apple. Like, yeah. and she does nothing there except after he tells the witch to go away. Go, good job. Good job. Uh-huh. Yeah, like that's that's all she does. Yeah. He even says to her, look, you can use the ring and go back and get food. Yeah. And she said, no, I'm not going to leave you. Yeah. So. She's the she's the straight man here. She's, she's the R2-D2 to Polly's C-3PO. Or to Dig- yeah. Diggory's C-3PO. She's the R2-D2 to Diggory's C-3PO. Um, Is Diggory C-3PO? <laughs> we could force this into a hero's journey. <laughs> Well, I mean, he just kind of stumbles through things and occasionally manages to do something. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so Polly, you know, do we do we want to talk? I mean, the only notes I had on Polly was Polly talking about grown-ups and Polly's interactions with grown-ups. Because at the very beginning, Polly is very much like, oh, you know, grown-ups always have such uninteresting explanations mm-hmm. and things like that. And kind of dismisses grown-ups but then like when she interacts with uncle andrew maybe he's got a mad wife locked up in there yeah (laughs) yeah so she's got all of these ideas and like this great like imagination when it comes to grown-ups but then Mm -hmm. like when she gets in front of uncle andrew and he's like oh like i need to give you a present she's like oh yeah i'm dumb now (laughs) and and that's one of the reasons why i say this story doesn't hold up yeah because well part of it is i not that I don't think, I don't think C.S. Lewis was deliberately chauvinistic. I think he's a product of his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's chauvinistic, you know. And, yeah. and the most, uh, it's like women or in, because they're children, girls in his stories can't be heroic. The most they can be is plucky. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Polly right. is plucky. Mm-hmm. But there's nobody who's down, I mean... You know, spoiler alert, but you both read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay. Uh-huh. It's not Lucy that 1v1's the White Witch. It's yeah. Edmund. Uh-huh. Right? And, and... But that's a redemptive arc for his character. That's true. You know? It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, so, yeah. But even when you get even further, even Jill, who's one of my yeah. favorite characters, is... Uh, no, I might even say she's heroic, but not in the classical hero's journey sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's heroic in her in her sense of... I'm going to do what Aslan told me to do. Boom. Yeah. That kind of thing. Which is kind of what Polly is, too. You know, it's sort of that that lawful rule follower, but not in the negative sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to do what's right. Almost a paragon. Like, you could you could you call Polly, could you cast her in the same mold as a, like a Captain America? Uh-huh. Somebody who just does the right thing all the time. So would, well, is is she the same wise Gamgee of this story? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. yeah. I'm, but then you also have her interactions, like with Queen Helen, where it's like all off scene. It's girl talk, and yeah. then it's like Helen is like, I think she'd like to go with the boy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and getting back into like you're, you're saying, is she the Sam? Is she the Sam? Uh-huh. Well, Tolkien and Lewis were part of the same writers group. Yeah. They bounced stuff off each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, she could be. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm stealing that. Mm-hmm. You know. So is Diggory Frodo. 
Because you could draw you could draw all sorts of parallels. Because like the biggest decision he makes is I'm gonna pick up a ring. Yeah. <laughs> well, whoa, and I mean whoa. and that's very much very much like the mm-hmm. the moment and he's confronted with having to pick up the ring to rescue Polly to avoid loss. Like it's put in front of him as like a you know, you just sent her off to nowhere that you know about, except that your guinea pigs might have survived. They just disappeared. Some of them blew up. Uh-huh. Um, Maybe. Can I burst your bubble a little bit? Sure. Okay. There's a, there's a, an, a children's author named Edith Nesbitt who wrote children's adventure stories when C.S. Lewis was a child. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So 1900s, right? Mm-hmm. Um in fact, Lewis describes The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a children's book in the tradition of Edith Nesbitt. Uh, the magician's nephew, and I'm quoting this off the internet, The magician's nephew bears a strong resemblance to Nesbitt's Story of the Amulet, written in 1906. The novel focuses on children living in London who discover a magic amulet. Their father is away and their mother is ill. They managed to transport the Queen of Ancient Babylon to London, where she is the cause of a riot. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're not saying C.S. Lewis is a hack writer or a plagiarist. But we're not making that it, statement. Good artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, we, we talked about him taking the concept of the wood between worlds from uh, that one book whose title I forgot. Yeah. And yeah. Lev, Lev Grossman took it from... Lewis, uh-huh. to your great disappointment. Yeah. Because you thought it was original to him. Uh-huh. Yeah. You were all excited about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... It's a cool idea. I'm, I might steal it for a, <laughs> and for, I a found, for a D&D game. For, for an additional parallel, we have this kind of transitory space that exists within the wood between the worlds in the same way that we have this transitory space that exists in the attic crawl space. Yeah. Where they enter the crawl space and they can exit through doors. And they say that themselves. Yeah. I, think, I can't remember I think it, who, who it was, Diggory or Polly, said, no, this is just like our crawl space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens here. All the activity takes place in the pools, in the people's houses. Uh-huh. This is the in-between place. Yeah. And then we just have, like, they, they, they keep coming back to the wood between the worlds as, like, a stopping point in the process of their journey. And like, there are times when it feels very unnecessary. Well, certainly the last time. Yeah. It is. And then even when, you know, Strawberry doesn't get to get a drink of water, it feels mm-hmm. very much like they just, this is the way we've been transporting, so we have to mm-hmm. add that in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we've spent uh, quite a bit of time on characters. Uh, should we jump on to another talking point? Um, sure. Let's go ahead and uh, yeah. take a break. Insert break music. All right. All right, so we're back. Um, We've got tea and biscuits. Tea. So before we wrap up the discussion of characters, do we want to get into Aslan at all? Aslan is a character. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Aslan Bear is talking about his character very much because, you know, either you're, you're on the side of the fence that he's Jesus and, you know, which case many, many, many books have been written about his character. You mean the side of the hedge wall? 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> if you invite me back for the end of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe wrap-up episode, mm-hmm. there's a lot we can talk about, about uh-huh. Aslan being Jesus and that. Mm-hmm. There's not that much in this book other than, oh yeah, here's Aslan, and he created this world. And so he gave a horse wings. He is essentially the god of this world. Yep. Right. He yeah. just is. Uh, all right, so moving on from, from character discussion, uh, throw us another another topic to, to hit. What do we got? Uh, you wanted to talk about chapter titles. We've got information about C.S. Lewis. Any any more of that that uh, Steve wanted to put in? Um, magic. You have one that says magic. I have one that says magic because my one that says magic talks about the I, the parallels of magic with royalty. Uh-huh. Mm. Um, also, the kind of dark mark that magic leaves on, like dark magic leaves on the, the witch and Uncle Andrew. Uh-huh. And then my other note on magic was um, magic as it its role in each individual world and how that flows and what like what it what is it about each world that inhibits or benefits the magic there uh-huh. so like the queen's magic doesn't work on earth the same way as it does on charn or even in narnia yeah and it doesn't seem to work the same in narnia as it did in charn yeah and you um, said that magic dark magic here specifically is the antagonist of the book and in, in your i mean words. it was a it was half. It was half a joke. But. Okay. Yeah. Well, for for our listeners at home who may not realize, I am a dungeon master for a Dungeons and Dragons game, mm-hmm. and Chris and Kristen are two of my players. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when we said, I think you said in a previous, one of the first episodes, Chris, I think you said he's not really a magician. He's more of an artificer. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, to translate, means he doesn't really do magic. He makes magical things. Yes. Yeah. Like the rings that have magic properties in them. Yes. But you don't see Uncle Andrew running around casting spells uh-huh. the way the witch does. Yeah. Or but, even, could we say, Aslan does because he's singing mm-hmm. creation into being. Yeah. Um, so he's not a magician. That was my That was my one little blurb about the chapter titles thing. The, the, That's book, the book title. The book title. Total. Sorry yeah. to inform you. The magician's nephew. The book title uh, I have an issue with because he's not a magician. And it says, the magician's nephew, and he was referred to as a magician over and over again. Never does magic. Yeah. And to go down <laughs> further, to go down the Dungeons and Dragons rabbit, rabbit hole, uh-huh. I would say Jadis is not a magician either. She is a sorceress because yeah. she says, magic runs in royal blood. Right. She And she even says, when she examines Uncle Andrew, she says, oh yeah, you're a magician of a sort. Uh-huh. You follow rules and you learn things from books. Mm-hmm. And she's very contemptuous of that. <laughs> yeah. Because her magic is because she's royal and her yeah. bloodline is magical. And That's she gets her. it from her, from her genes, from and her is heritage. That, is that universal? Is, that, is Aslan's blood royal? Is Aslan a king, and he has magic because of? Well, he's the king. He's the king. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's not though because he. We don't know this he yet. Coronates King Frank and yeah. Helen and leaves Narnia. Like he is not there ruling as the king. Yeah, that's true. He is, you know, he is a lion. He's a king of beasts. Terrible and 
Not a tame lion. Not tame. That's what. I, that's the yes. quote I was looking for. He's not a yes. tame but, lion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's good. Yes. And we're, we're getting ahead to Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe again. Yep. Yeah. It happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you want to go even further, he's the son of the great emperor over the sea. Yes. So, yeah. We Don't just, worry. We just, blew, we just <laughs> yeah. blew Chris away. As I am. <laughs> you, never see the, you never see the great emperor over the sea. He never appears. But Aslan is his son. Okay. He's Jesus. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> so. Oh. Are you finished with Aslan? Because I have a question. I think so. Okay. <sighs> you mentioned this several episodes ago. And I've been listening. And we never talked about it. Who's the narrator? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I was wrong. Okay. I was wrong because I, for some reason, had it locked in my head that Strawberry was the one telling this story. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I had it in my head that Strawberry was the narrator. And, like, I don't I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. But it was, mm. like, for some reason, I was, like, I remember Strawberry being the narrator. <laughs> and he, you're, yeah, he dripped from the yeah. bottom of the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so here's my other question then. So is the narrator, like, I, I know that often authors who r- will write long series of books, like Clive Cussler or Stephen King or other characters, they'll write themselves in Yeah, the I mean, this is the Lemony Snickets. You yes, know, exactly. So, so is the narrator C.S. Lewis? And is Diggory his colleague? Because we know Diggory becomes Professor Kirk. He, they yeah. even say it. It's not a spoiler because they say it in The Magician's Nephew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and old Professor Kirk is telling old Professor Lewis the story. I think that it's possible. I think that it's also just, you know, a third-person omniscient narrator. Yeah, which, that's I mean, Yeah, me saying that, Chris is, like, going to tense up. No. <laughs> it's Aslan. Aslan is telling the, the story. <laughs> the answer is Aslan. Well, the answer is always Aslan. It is. He'll cure your mother. <laughs> That's what it says on his business card. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is always Aslan because Aslan is Jesus. Yeah. It's like the Sunday school thing. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is, man. Mm-hmm. I don't but know I'm what the question s- is, but I'm going to say the answer is Jesus. Yep. Yes. All right. Uh, any, any any other main themes you want to touch on here? Uh we could talk about magic a little bit more. Yeah, magic. Uh, for instance, since we're talking about Sunday school, uh, among Christian circles, the Narnia books have always been uh, comfortable and encouraged, whereas other books, such as <laughs> Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. or I don't know because I don't run in those circles anymore, but I would say Percy Jackson books or Artemis Fowl books. Yeah. Which uh, his dark material? Yeah, it's not good. Well, his certainly dark his, his dark. Yeah, he, that's that's oh. deliberately written to be the anti chronicles. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But uh, they're not as. I remember when Harry Potter came out, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of Christian folk saying Harry Potter bad. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, because magic and because witches. Magic and witches and talking to snakes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, but Narnia always good. Yeah. Why is that? Because Aslan's Jesus. Because Jesus. Well, I mean, 
Chris, I'd like your perspective as someone who didn't grow up in this <laughs> yeah. like church environment, and as yeah. a theology major, yeah. and as a theology major, like, what are your thoughts on? Uh, I have my own thoughts, both my, from my personal my, experience and my literary literature background. Like but. my thoughts on why it's acceptable, or in the church as opposed to something like Harry Potter. I mean, I can I can give my thoughts on why know. does C.S. Lewis have the stamp of approval? Is it because he wrote Mere Christianity? No, yeah, and he also I mean, wrote this, or is it because there's something inherent in this text that I mean, he's strokes the Christian ego. Yeah, I mean, he's a noted theologian. He's probably one of the more prominent ones of the 20th century. Uh, so he's he wrote, safe. He wrote lots of stuff about Jesus. Like nobody's questioning the fact that Lewis is a Christian. So mm-hmm. any. You know, anywhere that he comes from is a place of, of goodness and truth, and you know that's. Wait till we get to the last battle. <laughs> I really want to have a theological argument with you over Armageddon because that's yeah. what the last battle is. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm biased personally because he's my favorite theologian, and uh, that he's shaped a lot of my own personal theology. Uh, and I don't know, like in this book specifically, we could tie it into the discussion about magic and say, you know, oh, there's magic in this book, there's magic in Harry Potter, but the magic in this book is kind of looked down on unless Jesus is doing it. Like, we can have Aslan doing magic and that's cool, but, but you know... But he's the only one that's allowed he's to He's the only one that's allowed to because, you know, it corrupts anybody else. Point. <laughs> uh, something Aslan says to Diggory is, um, essentially, to paraphrase, the magic always works. Mm-hmm. But how you use it, or how you take it, uh-huh. determines the result. Because in the book, both uh, the author goes out of his way to say, both Uncle Andrew and Jadis did unspeakable things mm-hmm. to gain power. Uh-huh. Almost a Lovecraftian kind of. Uh-huh. I, I did things, you know, I know things mankind should not know. And I, Is he mad? Maybe he lost some sanity. Yeah. Uh, he failed his sanity check. Doing, you know, learning these unspeakable things. Yeah. Jadis also, right? Uh-huh. You know, she, she learned a spell which, you know, tops even Thanos. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to destroy half, I'm going to destroy everything but me. Even to the point where when they land on Charn, there's no spiders. There's yeah. no... You know, there's no insects. There's nothing. There's also only one star in the sky. Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting with her being the one person there. Mm-hmm. I, I was, like, tying in a parallel with the stars to the living creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and her, like, that when they get there, there's the red sun and a single star yeah. visible. So much so that she has to essentially put herself in suspended animation. Uh-huh. Because... Even she couldn't survive. The planet is lifeless now. Uh-huh. There's no food. There's nothing grows. Yeah. The only thing I can do is put myself to sleep until someone comes along. And it may be 100,000 years from now. Mm-hmm. Who knows Which when she did it? She also yeah. can't get out of Charn yeah. Yeah. on her own. Like Her magic is limited to that point, whereas like even Uncle Andrew can stumble into it. And uh-huh. curiously enough, her magic doesn't work on Earth. Perhaps her magic is because she is magical simply because it's like she is linked to Charn. Mm-hmm. Charn is the source of her magic. Yeah. So in Narnia, she eats the apple and becomes 
magical and grows in dark magic, as Aslan says, Mm -hmm. in other ways and ends up becoming the White Witch. Yeah. But that's a different sort of magic than we see Jadis doing in... Charn, yeah. In Charn, Uh or trying to do on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my my one theological discussion I'll throw into this episode, uh, which is the central problem and the central uh, conflict of the book. We didn't talk about central conflict. Here's my uh, statement on that. I think the central conflict is because of Jadis. Like, the problem of evil. We go to Charn, we find evil, she comes back to Earth, causes chaos there. That's why we end up in Narnia in the first place, because of her. Like, because she, the best solution is yeah. just to throw our problems uh, somewhere else. That's why we have to go get the apple to plant the tree to protect Narnia from Jadis. Like, well, she is... None of that is because of Jadis, though. It's because yeah. of Digger. Because <laughs> yeah. of Diggory, who let us think yeah. for eight the lost, chapters... the lost boy, yeah. Diggory. That he was under some kind of enchantment, mm-hmm. and then he was like, nope, yeah. it wasn't. So Just wanted to hit it. To see, it, She's at least part of the central problem of this book. So Saw the bell and said, I'd hit that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did. And did. Wow. Good on you, Diggory. Um, so, I mean, that being said, w- let's talk about the problem of evil here. You know, why doesn't Aslan just get rid of Jade as soon as she comes to Narnia? Like, why is he just so chill about it? And she's like, oh, this will be a problem in a few hundred years, and we'll get there. Because this is the sixth (laughs) book that he wrote. Uh Uh-huh. And... He wrote himself into a corner. The initial book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, does sort it out Mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah. Um, Because Aslan is Jesus, and, you know, he makes a redemptive sacrifice. Yes. And, um, And so, yeah... I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, he. I mean, at this point, Lewis kind of had to. Like, he had all this whole story that he had to back up with something, so he couldn't really write it in such a way that, uh, you know, oh, yeah, and Aslan just opens a portal and sends her back to the way between worlds, and she's never a problem again. That can't happen. That can't happen because <laughs> she was a problem. Yes. It's, yeah, it's that whole... Yeah. Oh, and it's... Uh, it's the whole... It's God omniscient, <laughs> and so he lets... Is he letting it happen? Is he... You know, is Diggory's choosing to ring the bell and wake her up, but God, Aslan, or whoever knows that he did it, yeah. knows that he's going to do it. Why doesn't he stop him from doing it then? Uh-huh. Are human beings just carriers of evil, and we <laughs> we stumbled into Earth in the same way that we're going to stumble into this world, mm-hmm. in the way that we're going to stumble into Jarn? Like... Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. Yeah. Are the, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one of my biggest gripes with the book as a whole is just like hey, children of the progenitors. I think yeah. you, I think you'd have less of a problem with it if you'd read it sixth. Yeah. Than if you than reading it first. Yeah, probably. And, just reading it yeah. first, it, it presents this question that doesn't have an answer. And reading it sixth also, in some strange way, sets it up for the seventh book, which is, you know, the Armageddon book. Uh huh. So you have the big you have. The story of the Pevensey children uh-huh. and friends, which is one, two, three, four. Yeah. And then you have a, a story which is entirely in-universe, mm-hmm. which is book five. Yeah. And then you have six, which is origin story, and seven, which is end of the world. Yeah. And six and seven together make a nice package that mm-hmm. you don't get when you put it 
in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, um, you know, when you're talking about like the, the problem of evil and things like that, like when we do get into the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Aslan talks about how the witch never understood the deep magic. Yeah. And it's like, is is he talking about the, the Narnia inherent magic, or is he just talking about another universal concept of magic that is deeper and is always going to prevail and you know we're gonna have a jesus on every planet Uh in every pool yeah well the witch goes the witch says there's a magic here that's more powerful than mine yeah i don't know if she goes on to say there's a magic here i don't understand but clearly there's a magic there she doesn't understand Mm -hmm. because if she did she would never have murdered aslan Mm -hmm. in the next book which isn't a spoiler because we've all read it yeah um (laughs) so so yeah so is there an Aslan on... Is there a, a, a redemption figure? Is there a Lion of Judah? <laughs> is, there, is there a Redeemer on every... In every... I won't say planet. In every world. Uh-huh. In the pool. Yeah. Was there a Redeemer on Charn? Was, was it her sister that she killed? Was it her sister that she killed? There's more... That, that's possibly good fan fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say we're getting into that fan fiction again. Yeah. Uh, so, story of magic, problem of evil... Uh, and like I was saying, I feel like this is my biggest issue with the book as a whole is that Lewis didn't really have a lot of places he could go with it. It's just like, these are mm-hmm. questions I have to answer and there's only so many directions I can go with the story still maintaining a narrative flow. Uh, and so, it's a prequel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is that, I mean, the, going back to the Phantom Menace, pretty much the same issue there. Like, there's only so many different paths you can take to get to where we need to be. Yeah. So Because we already know where we're going. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, in The Magician's Nephew, though, there's no midichlorians. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what, what else do we want to touch on? Any other big narrative themes? We talked about characters and magic and creation and... I have a bunch of symbolism, but I don't know. I mean, that's me gotcha. going into my my literary wheelhouse and just being like, we've yeah, got yeah. symbols, we've got stars representing <laughs> people, and we've got the bell and the ring and bells ring, and we've got how there was some, <laughs> yeah. no ring at the door, and they're going to touch the rings, and they're going to go, you know, like, yeah. how her voice sounded like a bell ringing clear as a bell. That was the witch's voice specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so bells, rings, stars, trees. Yeah. Trees. We had an entire episode where your rewrite, your chopped and screwed, <laughs> was about Diggory being a boy obsessed with trees. Yes, it's my one of my favorite ones. <laughs> Which was more predictive than you thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. And I think that with that with that cover art of the boy staring up at the tree, not able to reach any branches, mm-hmm. very much to me was like when I saw that, I went trees. Uh-huh. Look, trees! The stags came up out of the ground and they looked silly because their their like antlers trees. came up like yeah. trees first. Yeah. And Uncle Andrew planted a gold and silver tree with yes. his coins. With yeah. his coins. And then we have Diggory plant a tree when he gets home. We have Diggory yep. throw the apple to plant a tree. He gets home and he plants another apple and yep. he grows another tree. Yeah. And he then builds the wardrobe, which has a tree carved onto it. Yeah. And they enter into Narnia through mm. that. So here's my fan fiction. Uh, this is set in, you know, the, the timeline's a little bit wrong for this. But, you know, let's say, you know, Diggory manages some time magic at some point. Uh but in his adventures, we know he turns into an adventurer and a professor and a well-traveled man. 
like somewhere he has a phase in like Indiana his, Jones in like his twenties before he gets there, where you know he he dabbles with some sort of magical thing and goes back in time and goes to the colonies in you know early America, and his obsession just keeps going and basically he becomes Johnny Appleseed. Becomes Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> He is uh, John Chapman. And, and he has a weird phase of like 10 years where he is Johnny Appleseed and just like plants trees up and down the coast and then just says like, all right, I'm going to go back to England. My work done. here is done. <laughs> yep. And then That's my, the story that I'll write. You do that. <laughs> my last symbolism thing was the wall um, uh-huh. because he and Polly meet, uh, Diggory and Polly meet over the wall. Over the wall. Uh-huh. And then he meets the witch over the wall basically in the garden where she climbs over the wall and eats the apple and then he has to go out through the gate and she follows him over the wall again yeah um so just that that the emphasis of the walls throughout and also that emphasis of she can't do it the right way Mm -hmm. it's got to be her way yeah right she can't I don't know if the gate, like, like Diggory touched the gate and it opened for him. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if it would for her or not, but she didn't even try mm-hmm. that we uh-huh. know of. She just jumped the wall. Yeah. yeah. The gate could, is narrow. Could she smell yes. the apples with her nose? I could talk about the symbolism <laughs> of noses and smells, but I think I've done that exhaustively. We, we've, we've done that pretty exhaustively. <laughs> and, uh, oh, when you were going red herring, red herring. Uh, no, she was listening because yeah. she says I was listening. Yep. I heard all your counsels, mm-hmm. yep. you know. And then I flipped back and I re- and I it's like, oh yeah, they don't say it in dialogue, but he the he just says in narration they talked about everything. Yeah, including his mother and no, yeah. yeah, It's like she's. I listening had to do the same thing. The whole you know, it's like I know the whole story now. Yep. And yeah. we recorded that episode before we'd actually recorded the episode for the previous chapter because hmm. we thought we'd recorded chapter twelve. And we there was a missing episode. Yeah, that, yeah. We we had never actually recorded it. <laughs> no, we didn't lose the episode. We just had never sat is that, down. Is that like that collective memory thing? Like Nelson Mandela yeah. died in jail. Or I something? think yeah. so. Yeah. I think it is. I mean, the Berenstain Bears. Berenstain Bears. Yeah. yeah. I watched. I I stood there while my mother <laughs> read a Berenstain Bears book. Mm-hmm. as the Berenstein Bears to my nephew. And I was like, stop! <laughs> this is not going to continue! You're mixing the timeline. <laughs> Don't do it, Mom! It's dangerous. <laughs> Don't do it. He's five! <laughs> Start him out in this universe! Don't make him shift! <laughs> All right. Um, so let's, yeah. let's get into Lewis. some... Chapter some fi- titles. Yeah, let's get into some final thoughts here. Um... I have my list of all of our rating systems we use. Our, all, all of our rating systems. Uh, so, I don't know, Kristen, are you ready to kind of put a bow on this? Have we exhausted our avenues of discussion for this book? I don't know. Steve, do you have anything yeah. else that you want to throw in there? Mm-hmm. Um, the last chapter is a lot of wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Literally. It, and it's literal <laughs> C.S. Lewis wish fulfillment. Yeah. Because his mother died when he was nine years old. And his father was, if not physically distant, very emotionally distant. Mm -hmm. And he ended up going to boarding schools with his older brother. Interesting thing. um, Born in Northern Ireland, so British, Mm -hmm. but not English. Uh And one of the things that that he writes later is when he first went to England, 
the accents of English people sounded like demons' voices to him. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, but yeah, so clearly he is, in his own mind, Diggory. Mm-hmm. He's Professor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he is also Edmund and Peter, too, where they're being sent away from their family to protect them. Yeah. And Eustace and Jill also in boarding school. Yeah. And, and what you were saying about Edmund, Lewis has an older brother, had an older brother. So he would have been the Edmund. Yeah, he would have yeah. been mm-hmm. the younger brother. He's the younger brother. Peter's shadow. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and his older brother was a, was a professional military person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, upright, always done the right thing, kind of. Yeah. You know. Makes so there's, there's some Edmund in... In Lewis. And there's some Lewis in Edmund. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like there's some Lewis in The Professor. Okay. And maybe some Lewis and Eustace, too, the miserable kid at boarding school. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, there you go, just taking the magic right out of this book to talk about magic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't looked into a lot of stuff about Lewis's history or life, and I guess I should have. I should be more proactive in uh, I mean, doing research in the second book and drawing conclusions from things. Someone told me that he would do the research. Yeah, I know. It's just petered off, I guess. It's been a while since we've had a little <sighs> research minute. To- Trip to the Soros land or anything. Uh-huh. We did find out Those what... Those magenta ca- rings. We found out what counterpane means, though. Yes, and the Alexa <laughs> did not know. Nope. What's a counterpane? It's a bedspread. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, uh, overall, we we tend to do this thing at the end of the podcast where we... tend we, to do this thing. Yeah, this is my how pet are we gonna, project. How are we going to rate this thing? How are we rating it? I mean, the the easy answer is, you know, um, uh, apple trees. Diggory's dead mothers, but I. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but she's not dead. You could do she silver lives? apples. She lives forever. She's still alive. <laughs> yeah. She's never died. Uh-huh. Those apples. On a scale from zero to five, uh, messianic figures. Oh yes. Okay. There, there we, we go. go. Uh, or creation narratives, because at this point he's still not the messianic character. Okay, well, it's the sure. Let's do creation narratives since this is what this is. Uh, we asked a question at the beginning of the episode where uh, you had asked me, "Do I think this holds up?" Uh, and like I said, probably not the the first or the fifth or fifteenth choice of books that I'd choose to read my hypothetical children. Uh, it's not a book that I'll ever read again. I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, Until in my we get life. to, you unless know, you read it six. after book five again, read yeah, it again. And we read it again right before yeah. the last battle, and we do a revisit. We we could probably do that. Uh, overall, it's fine. Like it's, it's it's. That was my uh, review of the Rise of Skywalker. Damn yeah. it, faint praise. Yeah, <laughs> like it's uh, it's not a great book i i think you'd you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who's just like this is a great example of children's literature i don't think anybody would say that uh it answers questions kind of it raises other ones uh overall i feel like it was probably unnecessary like i agree with everybody else about that like we didn't have to write this prequel why did he write it because you know why steve has a theory oh go jump in with your theory here which theory was this? That he needed money. Oh, that he needed... Yeah. Why did Shakespeare write all those great works? Because he was making a living. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, his, 
one of his friends and one of his writing group friends was Tolkien. Yeah. Who, apparently, The Hobbit was originally a, a, a serialized bedtime story for his children, uh-huh. which he wrote down. Yeah. And then published. And, in fact, a glowing review of it was given in the London Times. That review was written by C.S. Lewis. Oh, there you go. So, um, at the time when, for too complicated to go into right now, but if you have me back, I'll talk about it. How's that for a teaser? (laughs) Uh, Uh At that point of his life, he needed some money. And so, his buddy Tolkien was probably saying, hey, (laughs) Jack, because that's what he was called. Mm -hmm. Like Indiana Jones, he was named for the dog. Uh-huh. Uh Because his real name is Clive. Uh-huh. The CS is Clive, but he was nice. called Jack. Uh-huh. Clive Staples. Uh, so, Jack, children's literature, cha-ching. Yeah. And so, that could... Why... Now, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was written for his goddaughter, Lucy, who was one of the kids who, like Lucy in the book, was evacuated from London during the Blitz. Uh-huh. Which, he, he wrote it for her and self-acknowledges, like, you're not going to actually, you're going to be too old to read, to read this, this by the time by I the actually time finish I'm it. done with it, yeah. Uh-huh. But then, but after that, there was one every year. Yeah. Like clockwork, cha-ching. Uh-huh. Could be he just did it because he needed the money. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to be that cynical about it because, you know, I, I respect Lewis as a man. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't his best work. I think there are a lot of teasers in the other books, especially The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh-huh. Again, if you read those first, yeah. then he is answering questions people are asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, overall, like, probably ranks very far down his bibliography and list of works. And, I mean, is this kind of disappointing because it's one of the last books, uh, I think it might be the last actual book he published before his death. He did a couple of other essays and things, so we could probably look into that. But it's one of the last works he ever completed. I remember so, as a 10 or 11-year-old, however old I was when I first read it, I remember thinking how cool it was because it did answer those questions. Uh-huh. It kind of was the last piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess we can revisit this uh, when we look at the series as a whole, but as just a book that stands by itself. Um, gosh. I'll give it two messianic figures out of five. Well, uh, I, I was going to say three. I was going to say very average. Like, there's nothing glaringly wrong with it. But it, it didn't really impress me either. So. There you go. Three out of five. There you go. Kristen. I... <laughs> I'll give it a... Uh, uh... A Garden of Eden surrogate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I was gonna say. I mean, I was gonna say I'm gonna give it like a Beowulf or something, but like <laughs> no, one Beowulf's of those, way better. Than yeah, this. but it's one of those things that's like respected a lot more than people actually read it. Read it, yeah. Like people are like, oh yeah, no Beowulf. I've never read it. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's awesome. But it's great. It's epic literature. Like, uh-huh. I think it just has a, a greater um, appeal on paper because of what it's a part of uh-huh. than it does by itself. I have a copy of Beowulf on the bookcase <laughs> over there if you want to borrow it. I think I have three copies yeah, have of Beowulf. <laughs> so you give it a Beowulf. Yeah, I'll give it a give Beowulf. Beowulf. Yeah. Beowulf is high praise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say it, it does what it came to do, but I'm also reading it, you know. I, I also don't abide a five-star system, so. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I don't suffer a five star system <laughs> to live. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it does what it came to do, and it would have done it better sixth yep. rather than first. Cool. Agreed. All right. So that was our discussion of uh, Magician's Nephew. Uh, we never have to talk about it again until book, you know, six. six. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back. You'll be talking about it a little bit in the beginning of uh, of Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe because that's they're yeah. going to Professor Kirk's house in the country. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do some more callbacks to that, but uh, yeah, I guess we're starting that next week, aren't we? Yeah. S- Steve, do you have anything that you want to... To plug? Final. (laughs) (laughs) I have nothing to plug. I have no social media presence. Do you have any podcasts you might suggest our listenership to listen to? Maybe something you want to shout out. Uh, I have a very wide-ranging podcast tastes Mm -hmm. going from, uh, you know, politics to economics to Lovecraftian horror. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I don't want to think, I don't think I want to subject your listeners to any of this. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us, Steve. It was great. Thank, uh, you. Thank we'll you for inviting probably me. probably have you back on at some point to have more theological discussions. And, uh, those are our thoughts on Magician's Nephew. Kristen, you want to you wanna take us out? All right. Feel free to uh, interact with us in the social media realm uh, at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Chronically Pod on Twitter. And you can send us your fan art of Diggory not being able to reach apples in the tree. Or perhaps uh, charm fan fiction. Or some charm fan <laughs> fiction um, at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Steve, thank you for your time and for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm. And uh, until next time when we start the next book in the series. First real book in the series. Have a good one. (laughs) And this is my co-host. Chris, I am... Okay. <laughs> you're not God. No, you're not no. God. Uh-huh. And this is my co-host, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris, also known as... Steps, pause, pause. <laughs> you never put me on the spot now. I got nothing. I Usually I have put, something here. I always put you on the spot, and you always come up with something. Oh, yeah. You know Aslan's Jesus, right? <laughs> and that just... I was so disappointed after that. As we compare covers, this is thrilling podcasting. Well, yeah, yep. that's exactly, because that's the same edition yep. set. So... I saw the bell and said, I'd hit that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll jump in here to say that I, like, I have an issue with a lot of the chapter titles, because I don't think the chapter titles are, like, really all the time say anything about what the chapter entails, or they don't tell the main story. The book title itself, uh, I have an issue with. All right, cool. Stop talking. Okay. So... <laughs> Um, so, pro tip, apparently you should listen to our podcast at one and a half speed. Uh-huh. Pro tip, care of, care of Steve here. Well, only if you need to cram it. Usually I don't, because it's only once a week, and I, you know, I usually get it on Monday, and I like to savor it. You hear that, Nathan? <laughs> yeah.